Well, good morning, Life Church. It is uh, really great to see each one of you that are here, and it's wonderful to see everybody online as well. So thank you for tuning in uh, week after week after week. I was talking to a couple uh, or a family earlier this morning who was here for the first time in uh, just over five months, and uh, they've been watching faithfully online. And so for those of you who are on- online, uh, you are welcome to come anytime you'd like to. We're open for the services, and uh, thank you so much for uh, making your way out. And for those of you who are here, um, I uh, man, it is, uh, it is great to see your family. Faces, even though it's only half your faces, it is uh, really great to see each one of you. And uh, we're just trusting the Lord to continue to work powerfully in your lives as we gather together and um, just want to see the Lord do some great things. So thank you so much for, uh, for being here. Uh, we are continuing our series on uh, Galatians and Bound to be Free. I'm going to read a scripture verse uh, that hopefully is becoming more and more familiar with, uh, to you as we read through the book of Galatians. And that challenge still stands. And hopefully, I've heard from a, from a handful of you who are following through on that challenge to read the book of Galatians every week, those six chapters, kind of dig into those every single week. And so thank you for those who are doing it. Uh, otherwise, if you haven't been doing it, the challenge is to read the book of Galatians once a week during the series, which is going to take us all the way into the month of October, uh, but uh, that way you can really understand and grasp uh, what this book is trying to, uh, to speak to us about. But Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, this is the one that's kind of uh, the hook for us this entire uh, series. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And actually, today is the first day in the series that we are going to start seeing uh, what Paul is talking about very specifically about this yoke of slavery. Up to this point, haven't really talked a lot about that because uh, it hasn't been in part of the text we've been reading, but it's been alluded to. It's kind of, uh, Paul has danced around it a little bit, but he gets to it a little bit more directly today. And uh, today we are talking about one of my favorite subjects, and I say that sarcastically, uh, because we are talking today about conflict. How many of you just like, you live for conflict? There are certain personality types you're like, I love conflict. I can't wait to start an argument. Any of you here today? All right, good. How many of you are like, I know who you're talking about as you point to them. Um, (laughs) How many of you are maybe, well, here's my thing. Uh, Growing up, and even to this day, I'm 50 years old, And I do not like conflict. I have a tendency to want to avoid conflict. I am am one of those peacemaker, peacekeeper kind of people that I will look for any way possible to avoid conflict. Anybody with me on the avoid conflict people? Yes, you are my people. And this is exciting. Thank you for those who raised your hands. Um, But I do have that tendency. If there is conflict and if I see it coming, I will try to figure out a way to piece my way through it, P-E-A-C-E, my way through it. I will attempt to use interpersonal skills to make that conflict go away or <laughs> I will uh, run from that conflict and I will withdraw into myself, right? When conflict is around and stressors are there, that is my natural, normal way to handle it. Now, is that the healthy and the right way to handle conflict? No, it is not the right way. And I am 50 years old. I am still working on this. And uh, it is not a strength in my life. And that's why there are times when you go through the word of God and you go through it step by step like what we're doing right now. You have to, and I'm pointing the fingers back to me, Pastor Rich, you have to deal with subjects that make you uncomfortable. 
And that's why we can't pick and choose what we read in the Bible and why it's so important for us to read the Bible constantly, right? To have it in our hearts and we don't skip over parts that make us uncomfortable because I would rather deal with other things, right? I, w- I would rather, uh, rather deal with different aspects of the word than this one today, but I know we have to, so we're going to be dealing with conflict. So today, uh, as we get into this, uh, I want to talk to you about the Galatian timeline, because that's going to help us understand what Peter and what Paul are talking about and, and where this conflict arises uh, for this book. So Paul and Barnabas are in the region planting churches, in in this region of Galatia, planting churches. They'd been sent out by the church in in Jerusalem or in Antioch to share with Jesus those that are not Jews. So they'd been sent to the Gentiles, and they'd been given the right hand of fellowship. Hey, go do what God has called you to do, and we're fine with you going there. We're going to stay here, and we'll be perfectly content staying here. So they complete their mission to this region of Galatia, and they make their way back to Antioch, um, which is the church that originally sent them, and the leadership was from Jerusalem, and it's a little bit complicated, but I hope you understand. So, So they're there in Antioch after their trip, and they come back there, and they are telling people about all the good things that God had done. And at some point, while they're there at the church in Antioch, which was a strong church. It was diverse. Uh, It had slaves and free people. It had uh, ethnic diversity within there. It had uh, even religious diversity uh, within the church. All is good when Peter, who is a leader of the church in Jerusalem at that time, and really a leader of all the churches, had uh, had come there to Antioch to see what was going on, and everything was great. Everybody was getting along. Everybody was eating together, and they were, uh, they were on social media together and excited for what God is doing there in Antioch. After Peter arrives, though, another group of people had come from the church in Jerusalem. This group of people were not as keen as Peter was in eating with the Christians who were Gentiles and not Jewish. And all of a sudden, there began to be some problems in this church in Antioch. And it appears that Peter slowly pulls away from these Gentile believers that he was already eating with prior to that. And then some people come from Jerusalem and all of a sudden Peter says, well, I can't eat with you anymore. And he starts to eat only with the Jewish Christians. Can you imagine that that would be a problem? So formerly they were eating very fine with everybody else. And all of a sudden somebody comes along and says, no, you can't do that. And Peter pulls away. Peter was fearful, it says. And uh, maybe he was fearful of the Jewish believers. Maybe he thought that uh, they would give a bad report back to the Jerusalem church about the way that Peter... We're not real sure why Peter did this, but he did it nonetheless. So this group was demanding that the Gentile believers follow the law of Moses. So this is a group that came from Jerusalem. You have to follow the law of Moses if you're going to be a Christian. And part of the law of Moses that they were saying you had to follow was that the male believers had to be circumcised. Regardless of age, whatever it was, you had to be circumcised in order for you to be a good Christian. And so this became a big friction point for the early church, um, and this is where Peter and Paul have their conflict. So now, over the past couple of weeks, Paul has just written about his transformative encounter with Jesus Christ received this incredible call from Jesus to go to the Gentile believers and this unique opportunity that God had put based on the background of Paul, based on his education experience, based on the way he was brought up. All of those things were conspiring for Paul to have an incredible ministry with the Gentiles. 
And uh, so remember, he went and told the story to Peter and to James, the brother of Jesus, and to John, who wrote the, uh, wrote the Gospel of John, also the book of Revelation. He goes to them. They find nothing wrong with what Paul was doing, so they send them out, and they're very excited about this call. Now, anytime that people are involved, conflict is bound to happen. Real quick, and this will just be a sign of transparency right now within those who are married couples. How many of you within those who are married this morning and online, you can participate as well and you can do this, uh, have had some sort of arguments in the past month or some sort of conflict in the past month with your spouse, your beloved spouse, the one with whom you've chosen to spend your life, right? And uh, right, right, okay, there's conflict that happens in this kingdom of our marriage, there's conflict that happens at work. Anybody face conflict at work, right? Okay, good, good. A few hands raised. How many of you face conflict at church? Okay, so all of a sudden, it feels weird when you start talking about conflict at church. Because why? We should just love one another. Because Jesus has changed our life, we should all get along together and all have the same opinion about everything. No. <laughs> Anytime people are involved, there's going to be different opinions. And every time there's different opinions, what are you going to have? Conflict. As you work through that. And so, today, while what, what Paul is talking about here is primarily conflict within the kingdom, conflict within the church, I believe that the application for it is much broader than just within the church. And so, stick with me as we get to the end of this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. This is the story that Paul tells to the Galatian, to the region of Galatia to say this was, this was the conflict. But when Cephas, is another name for Paul, that's his Aramaic name. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. How many of you think that's pretty aggressive? <laughs> How many of you think, I would never do that. I just, I'm just not within me to oppose someone to their face. It says, I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the Jerusalem church, for until certain people came from James, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, this group of people from the, from the Jerusalem church, after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that even Barnabas, I'm talking about Barnabas in just a moment, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw, when Paul saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all. So this was a public, in-your-face rebuke of Paul to Peter. Would that make you uncomfortable? <laughs> yes, it would make me uncomfortable. Some of you are like, let's get the popcorn and watch this thing, right? But he said to his face, but when I saw that they were not acting consistently, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, so this is an argument that was being brought up by uh, the Jerusalem church saying, you've got to live like a Jew. And Paul was saying, no, you've already been living like a Gentile. Why now are you trying to live like a Jew again under all these regulations? So there's a lot going on in this. And I, I'm going to try to break this thing down, try to simplify it a little bit for us this morning. Uh, so the church in Antioch was a healthy community. 
it seems that there were no problems with different, uh, so the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians eating together, enjoying fellowship with one another, having come from different backgrounds, having come from different, uh, maybe even financial backgrounds, as I said before, f- uh, some were slaves, some were freedmen, and they would come together and they would be there in the church together. There were no problems. There was peace. It was a good place. And then Peter, someone known to be a leader, comes in and things change for the worse, as the case was. And maybe we've fallen into the same sort of action that Peter was engaged in. People uh, that have influence in our social circles, we want them uh, to approve of us. Right, the people that we think are important, we want them to approve of us. And so there are times when we will give in to the pressures that other people that we appreciate are bringing to our lives. Am I making sense? And do you feel that sometimes in, in our own lives? And in our world today is so much built on influence. There's the, uh, uh, the Instagram, the social media, the social influencers, right? Instagram influencers that people, they are paid to simply advertise products to influence other people to want to wear what they are wearing. Uh, case in point, um, oh goodness, Duck Dynasty. The daughter who is, you know, she's done a lot of things like that. She'll post something, and if you look at her posts, what are people asking? Not how's your marriage doing, how you feeling, you know, whatever, nothing like that. What they're asking is, what are you wearing? Where did you buy that? How much was it? Because she's an influencer. Now, she's an influencer, I believe, for the positive as well. She's a wonderful, wonderful Christian young lady. But the world around her is looking at what she's wearing, going, what can I do to get a hold of that? Same sort of thing is happening here in this church, um, where the Antioch Church, where there are a group of people coming in saying, I'm going to influence away from what we know as the freedom of Christ. And Peter was giving into it. Um, read this, it was not that Peter denied the gospel of grace intellectually, for he agreed with the apostle Paul on the essentials of the truth of the gospel, but he denied the gospel of grace and its implications to his, to life. He would not eat with the Gentile brothers in Christ on certain occasions. Peter's offense was not doctrinal, but in conduct, not in teaching, but in practice, not in knowledge, but in behavior. Peter's life was contradictory to the gospel of grace. He was denying the gospel, not with words, but with actions. Not with words, but with actions. So two ideas come here that Paul deals with when it comes to why this was so egregious on the part of Peter. And why Paul had to deal with this, this, and, and this conflict that was going on, why Paul had to deal with it so strongly. So this idea here of hypocrisy is uh, this idea of masks. And we got some photos here of, of uh, these are masks from the Greek era. And uh, I, I love, um, uh, oh goodness, uh, The Incredibles. Anybody remember the movie The Incredibles, Disney animated 3D? It's wonderful, right? Okay, and the crazy thing is, as soon as they put on their mask, I'm going to do this, all of a sudden... They are unrecognizable as the family that they were before. They put on the mask, and all, I think you all know who I am. I put on the mask, and go, ooh, who is that up now up front, right? Okay, so they put on the mask, and they're completely unrecognizable. Back in the time of, of Greek dramas, uh, this word that Paul is pulling out is definitely directly from there, and that's the word hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? Well, hypocrisy is this, this idea is that an actor would get on, they, they would have makeup on for a particular character, and when they wanted to play somebody else, they would put a mask on. Now, I, okay, this is silly, uh, but 
This is a tiny mask and I have a gigantic head, but it's okay. We'll just see what it looks like. <laughs> How do I do this? There we go. Okay, that looks really silly, right? <laughs> okay, I'll just hold it up in front of my face. All right. So what would happen is the actor, play acting, would put on a mask and they would take on the personality of a new character even though everybody knew that they were somebody else and they were okay with that because they were play acting. This is what Paul is calling out in Peter's life. Peter, you are play acting. You are somebody else. You believe something else. But the pressures have come and all of a sudden you're beginning to act differently. You, Peter, have put on a mask. And you are playing the hypocrite. Have you ever been accused of hypocrisy in your faith? This is what Paul was dealing with when it came to Peter. Somebody who says they believe one thing and yet are acting in a way that is opposed to what they say they believe. And Paul was calling Peter to account because this should not be among those who are following Christ. Um, there must be continuity between what you claim and what you actually do. There has to be continuity there. There should be no hiding behind a mask when you're with one group and then another you with another group. I uh, heard it said many years ago, our uh, pastor in Minneapolis uh, he said whenever somebody would, would, would basically uh, make the accusation, well, I don't go to church because church is full of hypocrites, he would say, yep, and so's the world, <laughs> right? Because the world doesn't live up to its own standards in so many different ways and play the game and put the masks on and all of that. So it's no different at times within the church, right? And so we have to be super careful, just like Paul was calling, in, uh, calling Peter to account, to not put on the mask outside of the walls of this church and not behave the way that Christ has called us to behave. N.T. Wright says this, God wants this faith that we have to be something which affects every aspect of our lives. From the moment we wake up in the morning to the night, we go to bed at night praying that at dinner, at, that at dinner table, in the bedroom, in the marketplace, in the shop or school or wherever, we are going to be honoring God. And so they think that... Um, they think through what it would mean to honor God with every single aspect of your lives, everything that you do. I want to be consistent in the way that I live my life. Am I always that way? Man, I've got to say times in my life, it's not always that way. And I could be accused of putting the mask on to make myself look one way with a group of people and another way with another group of people. It's a struggle, folk. It's a, it's a real concern for us as well, right? The other side of this that Paul, um, that Paul deals with is uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, but when I saw that they were not walking a straight path, keeping, a, um, uh, keeping in line with the truth of the good news. The word that Paul uses here is, um, is basically, you know, this, this walking in a straight line, um, and they were not being straightforward. Th this this idea here is that Paul's trying to get across is that Peter was making it difficult for him to be followed to Jesus because he was not walking a straight path, that he was walking a, a crooked path. He was walking a drunken path. <laughs> That's kind of the implication that, that Paul is making here is that the way you are walking right now is not leading people to Jesus in, in a straight way. What you're doing, Peter, is you are wandering around and causing confusion in the church. 
And Paul was saying, I'm going to have none of that. (laughs) There's no way I'm going to stand for that within the church. So Peter is not acting the part that he's playing, and he's walking in such a way as to lead others astray. So there are two things here that I want to point out when it comes to specifically conflict within the church. But I, again, I believe that this, has, uh, this is much more broad than just within the church because uh, while some of the language I'm going to use uh, deals with the church, but uh, how it can be applied is much broader than that. Uh, and so there are two things that need to happen when there's resolution with conflict. There's, now, there's obviously many, many more, but two, two this morning that we're going to talk about uh, for, for conflict, how to deal with this, this resolution. Number one, Resolution seeks restoration. Resolution seeks restoration. Right? Say, how in the world could this public in-your-face confrontation lead to any sort of restoration? Because I would be offended by that. Uh, Dallas Willard, he put it like this. The correcting to be done is not a matter of straightening them out. It's not a matter of hammering on their wrongness and on what's going to happen to them if they don't change their ways. It's a matter of restoration. They aim in dealing with the one who is caught is to bring them back on the path of Jesus and establish them there so their progress in the kingdom character and living can continue. Ultimately, folks, whenever there is conflict, that resolution should lead people to a position where their relationship with God is restored. And so you might say, I've had conflict within my family and it doesn't seem like it's restoring (laughs) the relationship with Jesus Christ. I've had conflict at work. It doesn't seem like it's restoring. Well, sometimes the problem is is that we're trying to hammer people to look more like us. And I hope this doesn't mess up this table. (laughs) Right? We're trying to hammer people to look more like us. And all that we end up doing is making them bent like us. All that we end up doing is making them in our image rather than in the image of Jesus. So, folks, at the bottom line of, of restoration in a time of conflict is to have people look more like Jesus than to look more like us. So we have to look at why are we in conflict to begin with. Is the standard by which I'm living my life leading people to Jesus, or is it leading them to look more like me? Um, What is the heart of God? The heart of God, I don't believe, is to hammer. (laughs) Um, Although there are times then we can be pretty pig-headed as believers, and I think he treats believers a little bit differently at times. But this is what he says in Isaiah, and I believe this reveals the heart of God when it comes to restoration. Isaiah 42, verse 3, and I hold on to this uh, as well in my own life. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. This is the heart of God in restoration. He's not out there to hammer and say, look what you've done wrong. But he's there to transform our lives through what Jesus did in us. So in Acts chapter 15, uh, this ties into this whole story in Galatians. And uh, very quickly here, um, ultimately Peter makes the right decision. And this is how we know that restoration has happened within the church. Now there's a story of of, uh, Peter, I don't have time to go through all of it, but in Acts chapter 10, Peter's confronted by God to go minister to to a Gentile believer. And God says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And you can go back and read in Acts chapter 10, fantastic story. And Paul knows that this happened in Peter's life. It was a story that was told within the church and people knew that Peter had gone and had been with Gentile believer in Acts chapter 10. So years before this that takes place in Acts chapter 15. 
when Peter had gone down to Antioch, he had already had that experience in Acts chapter 10. Paul knew it. Peter knew it. Everybody knew it. And yet Peter was acting against what he said he believed. So Paul's public rebuke of Peter had brought correction. It took guts to confront this leader. But when the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of grace is being weakened, you cannot stand idly by. So this council is called in Acts chapter 15. And uh, Peter, Acts chapter 15, verse 6 through 11, um, says this. And remember, this is right after the whole Galatians thing had happened, problems or problems happening, I'm sorry, in Antioch. They call, this, uh, they call this council. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider the matter. After there had been much debate, that's a key word to say, man, we argued back and forth, right? We had much debate. Peter stood up and said to them, remember, this is after Antioch, after Paul had confronted him. <laughs> Peter stood up, brothers, you're aware that in the early days, God made a choice among you. That by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit. He's referring to Acts chapter 10. Just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' neck that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. Resolution, right? This leads to restoration. It was tough for Peter to receive that from Paul, but it led to a point where Peter realized he was in the wrong and he brought correction to the entire church because of it. This is that restoration. And this is what we need to seek among one another as we restore our relationship with God. Um, now, the second part of this, that this restoration, that this leads to an aspect of healthy conflict, resolution seeks unity. Resolution seeks unity. At the end of all this conflict, the church is stronger. Peter is stronger. Paul is stronger. There's a sense that God had been at work in difficult circumstances. At the end of Acts chapter 15, so at the end of this council where they make these decisions, it says, for it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours not to place further burdens on you, the Gentile believers. They write a letter. And this letter goes to the church at Antioch where they read this letter. They had the conflict there. Everybody knew about this conflict. They wanted it to be resolved to not place further burdens on you, the Gentile believers. So they were sent off and went down to Antioch. And after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. When they read it, they, the church in Antioch, rejoiced because of its encouragement. There was unity within the church where before there was destruction. Much later on in Peter's ministry, I find this fascinating. Much later on in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter's writing, uh, writing a letter uh, to the churches. And when he's writing this letter, this is what he says. He says, also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written you according to the wisdom giving him, or given to him. Uh, he speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things hard to understand in them. In other words, Peter, and he recognizes there's a difference between he and Paul. He knows that there's some hard things to understand there. But he says this, the untaught and the unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest 
of Scripture. So Peter, who was rebuked publicly by Paul, was so restored and so unified with what God was doing, he was able to look at what Paul was writing and recognize that this is Scripture. This is God speaking to us, so you better take it into your own life. Put it into action in your own life. Folks, that to me is restoration in the middle of conflict, and I believe that's the kind of restoration that God wants in conflict, maybe even our own lives. So I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet here really quickly. There were many, many of you who raised your hands uh, just a little bit ago about conflict maybe in your, own, in your own family, conflict going on at work, conflict happening uh, in your neighborhood. Maybe your neighbor is driving you nuts because they wake up at four in the morning and mow the lawn. Whatever it might be, how do we resolve this conflict? Well, I believe today with this kind of test that we have with conflict, we can start to look at ways to restore right? And to bring unity. And again, while that's dealing specifically with the church, I believe that the application is more. God wants to restore relationship. God wants to bring unity to friendship, to families. God wants to bring unity even in workplace and that, uh, that ability to be able to work together to find that peace that God, I believe, desires because he calls himself the God of peace, right? So every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. You are here this morning and you are facing some significant conflict and you realize that this is just not going to go away on its own. Maybe you're like me and you want to run from it. You want to kind of hide yourself from it or just assume it's going to go away. Um, And you realize I can't just let it go away. That there's more at stake here um, and I need to deal with this conflict. And you need to bring restoration and you need to bring unity through the way that you handle this. If that's you today, and it might be something with your family, maybe it's your children, maybe it's your parents, someone else that maybe you see that's going down the wrong road and they're living in hypocrisy and you know you need to confront lovingly in order to bring restoration of relationship with Jesus and to bring unity, whatever that might be, and you'd say, I just need the wisdom of God in my life to deal with this conflict head on, so that it no longer controls me, no longer controls the circumstance. If that's you, can you just lift your hand really quickly? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lots of hands up. Folks, we live in a world that's conflicted. We live in a world that uh, relishes, it seems like right now, in conflict. But I believe, as I said earlier, God's a God of peace and he wants to bring resolution to it. And so God, you see every hand that's raised and Lord, many more that are represented uh, online that are watching right now. God, some that are, that are crying out, Lord, in desperation for this conflict to be resolved in their marriage, conflict to be resolved in their friendships. Whatever it is, God, I pray that at the bottom, Lord, at the, at the very ground level of this, Lord, that there would be restoration of relationship with you and that, God, there'd be unity, Lord, with you and with one another in all of this. God, a desire as Christ followers is to live in such a way, Lord, is that we are not hypocritical. God, that we are not trying to bend people to be in the to be in our own image, but that Jesus, you would shine through us no matter what time of day it is, no matter who we are with, God, that we would be consistent in our faith, that God, we would be restorative in our relationships, and God, we would bring unity, God, to the circumstances of our lives. And so, God, as we've lifted our hands to you, God, and Lord, as we have confessed our own inadequacy in this, 
that, Lord, you would help us to resolve these conflicts in our life by restoring relationship with you and bringing unity, God, in the, in the relationships, bringing unity in circumstances that you would be glorified and honored. Lord, we love you this day. And God, as we leave from this place, Lord, I ask that we would be filled with your spirit in a new way. That, God, as we leave, that we would have boldness, God, to deal with uh, some of this conflict head on. God, some of this has controlled our lives for years. And, God, enough is enough. So, Lord, help us, Lord, to call out hypocrisy. Help us, God, to be okay with calling out those, those crooked ways that we see. But, God, also recognize, ultimately, God, it's not to put them in our image, in our own standards. But, God, that we would bring restoration in relationship with you and unity in the church, Lord. God, we love you this day. Give you all the glory. Help us to walk with that confidence, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here this morning. God bless you. And uh, we will see you next week and perhaps online uh, later on this week. God bless you. my mask. I don't know really...